0: Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any person's living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man...
1: I take pride in the words, Ish bin Ein. Science,
0: science, <laughs> science. I know the human being and science, science. can coexist just peacefully. This, without finding. Petri dish.
1: Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. We're going to talk about a subject that is very romantic in my imagination. Stacey and I went to an aquarium once and there is these cute little tiny little baby octopuses. Very colorful, called Jukka Babies or juka Me in actual Korean. And so Stacey's my Jukka Baby. I'm her Jukka Baby. We got a Jukka dance called Jukka Jukka juka Me. It's beautiful. And so I really love octopuses. And I told Sean, Sean, octopuses saw the moon crash into the earth. That's based on a documentary I saw as a kid. I don't know if that's even true. Wow.
0: But is that true? The moon did not crash into the earth.
1: Wait, isn't that one of the theories about why the moon exists is that something crashed into the earth and then like part of it spun off and became the moon? Something crashed into the earth and then a huge chunk of the earth
0: came off and became the moon.
1: Okay, okay. So there was a part of the documentary I was really interested in. and it was (laughs) the idea that cephalopods were there for that. Um, I don't think so. And then either. there was an anime called Gargantua that wasn't actually very good. But in it, there were fleets of humans in a post-apocalyptic world. And then there were these giant cephalopods that lived underneath the waters. And they looked a lot like an alien species that this like, off-world pilot used to fight in deep space. And it turns out that they were evolved humans that, that changed their bodies completely over time to live underwater into these cephalopods. Suffice it to say, I mean, like, and all that stuff kind of evokes something that I've always been found really interesting, which is how fucking smart octopuses are. Wait, are squids smart too? Yeah. Okay, how fucking smart this particular branch of cephalopod is. Are they all cephalopods? Yeah. How smart these cephalopods are, because their brains are a lot smaller than ours or really like a lot of mammals. They got these small ass brains. They don't live very long. Most of them aren't that social. A few of them are very social, but a lot of them aren't that social. And yet they're super fucking smart. And I asked Sean, I was like, Sean, put away your immunology bullshit. Why are <laughs> octopuses so smart? This is about true love
0: for me. Yeah. So, you know, they evolved 470 million years ago. So cephalopods predate trees, right? Wow. Like they, they, This is some long time ago shit. Yeah. Right? Even redwoods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, did you know the
1: oldest redwood is four hundred sixty-nine million years wow. old. Wow. It was the first one. <laughs> that's not true. Yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> in case anyone did briefly believe
0: that. All right. That's it's not even accurate. Yeah. Um But cephalopods predate fucking trees. Yeah, and a couple weeks ago we talked about corvids, right? The ravens and crows and their intelligence really specifically. And this time around, we're gonna be focusing on something corvids are way more similar to humans. Than cephalopods are, right? They're invertebrates. It's a very, very different branch of animal. But aside from being intelligent, cephalopods are also really weird, right? So I think in both this episode and the part two that we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking a lot about their weirdness along with their intelligence. Right. They're not just smart. They do
1: camouflage. They got ink, of course. Uh, They're delicious. Yeah. Rah. Nakji is another type of Korean octopus thing, right? I, yeah, I guess. Yeah! Good. Dude, teaching Korean, dude.
0: Yeah, I, I, some of the food terms that I don't eat as often, I don't know. It's the only thing I pick up. Stacy was so upset when we went to Indonesia
1: and I like immediately learned all the food words in Indonesian <laughs> and I had not learned Korean after three years of living in Korean. I know, uh, <laughs> ojingo. Ah, oh, oh, ojingo!
0: Yeah, right? Nakchi ojingo,
1: great. jukumi. Yeah,
0: very delicious stuff. Fuck. Alright, well that was your Korean lesson for the that's the end of the episode, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time for Petri Korean. So let's talk octopuses. Yeah, let's do it.
1: So Sean. Now I obviously am very horny to talk about why octopuses are so smart, but apparently there's a lot of really sexy other things about them. One of the first things is they have Vulcan blood. Yes. Tell us about their weird fuck blood.
0: Right. So cephalopods, this kind of helps illustrate how far apart we are in the animal tree of life. Right. For 170 million years. That's a lot of dinosaurs ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So cephalopods have a pretty different kind of blood on a fundamental level from us, right? So the oxygen in our blood is carried by a protein called hemoglobin. (laughs) <laughs> <Hemogoblins>. <laughs> hemoglobin. Hemoglobin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And hemoglobin uses iron to help carry that oxygen. Okay, cool. And it's transported in our red blood cells. Right. All yeah. Right? Like everything else. How the fuck else would you do it? Right. Like, that's crazy. So that's the thing. Encephalopods, they use a different protein called hemocyanin. What the fuck? And hemocyanin evolved completely separately from hemoglobin. And it uses copper instead of iron. Jesus Christ! Okay, so this isn't a situation where there was a protein, some like you know proto fucker, right? Right. That <laughs> split, you know, so five hundred million years ago. <laughs> a scientific term, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Protohemo fucker. <laughs> yeah. Protohemo fucker. And it split <laughs> into one that went to the hemoglobin direction, one that went to the hemocyanin. Not even that. J- shit is just different. Yeah. Fundamentally different. Evolved from different proteins. And another really big difference is that the hemocyanin cephalopods is not contained within blood cells. It's just floating around in the liquid of their blood. Could we do that in humans? So, no. One of the reasons why we can't is that you, you kind of need a lot of these proteins to be able to carry all the oxygen that you want to have in your blood. Right. right? And if it's just hanging out in the blood, there's something called osmolarity or osmotic pressure. Right. And what that means is the more stuff you have dissolved in something compared to something else, you'll have water trying to flow between them to balance it out. Right. Oh, God. AP chemistry is just smacking me with a brick right now. And so, one of the ways that that ends up happening is if you have a cell, which is filled with water and stuff, and you put it into really salty water, which is water with way more stuff, it's going to fuck that cell. That cell will shrivel up because the water will leave the cell to try to hydrate the salt water, okay? And in the reverse, if you take a cell and you toss it into just pure water, there's nothing in that water, it will try to flow into the cell to try to dilute all of the stuff inside the cell. Damn. And all of that is to say that the amount of hemoglobin you need, if it was just floating around your blood, that's too much stuff in our blood And our cells would shrivel up. Why is that not a problem for octopuses? Right. They get around that using some pretty weird techniques. Basically, they polymerize their hemocyanins. So they have a bunch of hemocyanins like hooked together to make big clumps of hemocyanin that go around. Why doesn't it just give them blood clots or something? Uh, So the way that their blood works and clots is actually pretty fundamentally different from ours jesus dude these thing. are just like alien creatures yeah
1: dude that anime i was just talking about if we don't cut that <laughs> it's
0: true man they're probably aliens <laughs> well they are very different from us very cool. very different Cool. right this is a branch of animal it's much more close to arthropods insects and snails that's fucking gastropods cool. and everything that's right fucking cool much closer to them than to mammals and birds and everything okay well they also have three hearts Right, so this blood that's pumping around in their bodies, it has to go through three hearts, one heart for each set of gills, right? And they have two sets of gills. And then also a third heart to then pump that oxygenated blood throughout their body. God. Yeah, so basically it'll kind of be flowing back. It's out of oxygen, and then it'll go into these two hearts to send it to the gills to get all the oxygen it needs. And then it'll flow into the third heart to go back out into the, the arms and head and everything. They're like Krogan. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. So very, very different situation from us, for sure.
1: Okay, so their blood isn't just fundamentally structured
0: different. Their eyes are fundamentally structured different. Well, so the eyes are a really interesting part of cephalopods because unlike a lot of other invertebrates, so we humans and birds and you know reptiles, a lot of the other animals that we recognize, fish, we're all vertebrates. Right. Whereas insects, um, spiders, Steve manukan they're all spineless. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So vertebrates versus invertebrates is talking about having a spine. And yeah, like you said... Some things have it, some things don't. <laughs> some things don't. <laughs> yes. Cephalopods do not have spines. Right. Okay? They are very, very different kinds of animals. A lot of invertebrates do not have eyes like our eyes. Right. They don't rely on vision to quite the same extent as us, or they've come up with different visual solutions than us. Like right. Insects, for example, a lot of them have compound eyes. Right. A lot of invertebrates have what are called simple eyes or lensless eyes. They don't have a lens to help focus images. It's fucking crazy. So they work more like pinhole cameras instead of like the kind of advanced cool cameras we have. Cool. Now, cephalopods actually have very large eyes, some of the largest eyes of any animal relative to their body size. Right. It's like them and really cute kittens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. puss and boots. (laughs) Puss and boots.
1: You can't say puss on on our podcast. Puss. (laughs) Puss
0: and boots. (laughs) I'm going to wash your dirty mouth out with soap. (laughs) All right. So, some cephalopods do have a very simple eye without a lens, I'm thinking specifically like the nautiloids. Yeah, but nautiloids are like old school dumb motherfuckers, right? Yes. What about well, we'll, them sexy badasses? We'll get into them in part two. But the what we call sort of like the more derived fancier cephalopods, squids, cuttlefish, octopuses. Yes. Okay. They got these really sexy complex eyes with lenses that are actually a really excellent example of convergent evolution because they work almost the same as our eyes okay very very similar to our eyes despite both of us having evolved from an ancestor that did not have eyes right okay so we evolved them on completely separate evolutionary tracks okay there are some differences so aside from the structure being very similar some of the differences are that the way that we focus our eyes is by changing the shape of our lens Mm -hmm. The lens is the thing that the light passes through and is important for focusing images. Right. We actually change the shape of the lens. We make it kind of fatter or thinner. Cool. Octopuses move their lens around. Moving your lens around is actually the way that cameras focus. Okay. So so an octopus octopus is like a camera. Much more like a camera than our eyes work.
1: Why can't we make cameras work like our eyes?
0: Uh, It's actually, from a material perspective, it's actually kind of complicated to make a Lens out of a material that can change its shape like that. But what's our lens made out of? It's a composite biomaterial basically. Cool. Yeah, so it, it, it's... You just sci-fied me. You don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't totally know. I, I think I think it's like a, a proteoglycan mix of stuff. Like I, I think You like, just
1: really sci-fied
0: me. No. That, you just, like... That's just from Mass Effect. That's just a gun from Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> but what's not made out of glass. Right, okay? right, right. And so it can An actually octopus
1: lenses made out of glass? No, but they just move oh. it around. They, oh, they don't okay. want to deal right, with the right.
0: deforming aspect of it. They just want to be able to move it to different positions. That's cool. So that's how they focus their eyes. And then another difference is that our eyes have blind spots. Okay, you can't actually usually tell because our brains, when they're interpreting the images, will actually kind of ignore the blind spot and fill it in with information from the other eye or from your eye moving around a lot and that you don't really notice. I had a Trump joke somewhere in there (laughs) about About intellectual blind spots. (laughs) <laughs> but it didn't come together. Yeah, yeah it didn't right. come together fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's that's for our viewers to fill in. Or <laughs> that, listeners, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you guys, Whoa. you guys think about it. Okay, so our eyes do have this blind spot. The reason we have a blind spot is because in a certain spot of our eye, we have the optic nerve that right. collects all that information. Right, and that actually covers up a part of our eye. <laughs> Fucking nerve. And so on that spot, there's a little dark spot because that's where the nerve is, and we can't see things there. Cool. For octopuses and squids and everything like that, the optic nerve is behind the entire retina portion of the eye. Oh. So they collect all of that information and just pass it on to a nerve. This make my eyes hurt. This guy was saying like, <laughs> <I'm> throw <just laughs> like, my eyes and just shit, like blinking and shit. Ah. <laughs> so they do not have a blind spot. The evolution of these two kinds of eyes is actually kind of interesting. We had an episode a little bit about evolution, if yeah. you remember, right? And we talked a little bit about genes and how you can develop new traits. Right. And one of the ways that we talked about in that episode was you can duplicate a gene. You right. can make multiple copies of it. And then that allows you to fuck around with some of the other copies, but still keep a functional one. Right. Presumably it was doing something like with coronaviruses in a Chinese lab. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> but the, the main idea there. Right. Well, it's really not true. You don't know if it even applies. Right, yes. Yes, okay. (laughs) So so the point is that one of the ways that you can create new stuff in evolution is by duplicating it first and then messing around with the duplicated version of the gene, right? And so in insects, that's how they made their eyes, okay? There's this one gene called PAX-6, and PAX-6 is important for visual development for everything that has an eye. It just seems like it's one of those genes that's really useful for making eyes. So every animal that's evolved some kind of eye did it using Pax-6 somehow. In insects, they made multiple copies of Pax-6 and then fucked around with those other copies. But that's not how we did it. We only have one copy of Pax-6. So how did we make our eyes? Okay. What we did was something called splice variants. And what that means is even though we only have one gene, that gene gets turned into RNA, right? right, through transcription. And then we take that RNA and we cut it up into pieces, and stick those pieces back together in different arrangements. Cool. So even though it was one gene, it makes RNA of different forms. Right. And then those different forms make slightly different proteins. Right. Okay? We don't fuck on the DNA level. We fuck on the next step. Right. And so in that next step, we make four different RNA versions of that original pax 6 gene. How about cephalopods, baby? Cephalopods, which again, are more closely related to insects than us, do it our way. Oh, shit. Okay. They also do splice variants. They do not have extra copies of the Pac 6 gene. Isn't it more like we do
1: it their way? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, they came first, but yeah. whatever. They went point. <laughs> They
1: didn't make books. We're, we're, we're us. So yeah, I'm going yeah, yeah. to go a little pro human.
0: Not here. me. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so cephalopods make five splice variants, and that is responsible in large part for building their eyes. Okay. Are there any upsides or downsides to having eyes their way? Another one of those whims of evolution, right, is that cephalopods, by and large, are colorblind. Okay. Okay. Um, But this
1: under the sea, it's so beautiful. (laughs)
0: Don't you want to see all the pretty colors? Unless you're in the dark, of course. So this is going to come up a little bit more later, but it is actually kind of surprising that cephalopods can do all the shit that they do while being colorblind. Yeah, don't they, like, change their colors? Right. Yes,
1: (laughs) exactly. Bizarre. But it's like a Stevie Wonder so good at piano.
0: What? (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's a sound thing anyway. You anyway, can't, you can't see the keys, <laughs> yeah, whatever, <laughs> anyway. Look, one thing that they can seem to do is see polarized light. Okay. Which may confer a little bit of ability to distinguish between monochromatic light of different polarizations. So maybe that's one way that they can like see sort of, it's not exactly different colors, but different sources of light look a little different. We can't distinguish polarized light. Uh, we don't have that ability in our photoreceptors. Right. But they do seem to be able to, and they might actually even use it for communication with one another. Cool. Okay, well, let's take a quick break. And then
1: after that break, we're going to talk about their ink. Hey guys, this is Nathan and Sean from Petri Dish We've got a lot of new listeners recently And first, we'd like to thank all of you guys for joining us We're very happy to have you in the Petri Dish
0: community And also, we've got a favor to ask from you yeah, we would really love it if you guys could head over to podchaser.com or on iTunes or the Google Play Store and leave us a review and a rating so that we can kind of get the word out there. More people will be able to come and listen to our show.
1: Yeah, we're happy that you guys found us and let's try to get even more people into the Petri dish fold or the Petri dish Petri dish.
0: You know, our show takes a lot of work to put together. We do a lot of research that goes into it. Nathan writes up stuff. Stacy puts in a lot of work producing out all of the garbage that we, <laughs> that we record in the first place. And all of that work takes a lot of time and effort. And so we would also appreciate it if you take the next step and head over to patreon.com slash Petri dish.
1: You can of course be a fool and give us like a million dollars a month, but it goes as low as a dollar a month. It would really help us produce the best possible version of Petri dish. So guys, again, thank you so much for joining us. Ich benign science, guys. Welcome back. We're talking about cephalopods and their ink. Now, Sean, I know ink primarily from making delicious pastas. Okay, we just right. we just squirt ink all over all our shit. Right. But apparently, ink does other things. Yeah. When, <laughs> the,
0: when you when you use ink to make pasta, you usually
1: use cuttlefish ink. I was talking so much shit. I've never used that. I actually right. did used to make ink pasta. Like, like, well, you can make sauce with ink, or you can just put it into the pasta. Yes. We would use it to make the pasta itself, and yeah, we would use cuttlefish ink.
0: Yeah, what I've heard is that cuttlefish ink and squid ink actually taste different, and that squid ink is kind of uh, more acrid and, like, harsher on the palate than cuttlefish ink, which is kind of gentler. I'm so embarrassed how long it took me to say yes. Well, it's okay. Anyway, (laughs) so, all cephalopods, except for, again, nautiloids. Just the shit ones. Produce ink. Except a few specific species have lost the ability. Why would you ever throw that away? Yeah, that's a good question. Because ink seems to do a lot of cool stuff. So, the darkness of the ink is made up mainly of melanin, which is the same pigment in us that kind of makes the coloration of our skin and hair and everything like that. I didn't know it was also hair. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's melanin deposits. So, like, why is it that some of your hair still has melanin and some of your hair doesn't? Yeah, so the, actually, this is almost a perfect question that we could have asked Matilda because actually, oh, she she is she does a lot of skin stuff, but she is very specifically skin and hair follicle science, and that's where it comes into play. Is melanocytes in your hair follicle are the ones that are responsible for kind of shoving the melanin into the hairs that's being made. Right, and uh, in this case, the hair follicles that my gray hairs come out of are shitty. So it's the same kind of pigment. Okay. Ink is a mixture of a lot of stuff, though. It's not just the melanin. And one of the things that's included in there is mucus. Gross. The amount of mucus definitely varies from species to species, but also potentially varies based on the situation, okay? As in some species might, like, switch up how much mucus they mix in to their ink based on what kind of escape they're trying to pull off. Here. So what, is it like epoxy? They've got their mucus sac and their other shit sack, and then they rip Yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah. So there's an ink sac that makes the ink and then it kind of goes through another organ funnel. Yeah, kind of, yeah. (laughs) Pretty much actually. And there's some mucus in there that can get mixed in. Can you imagine if
1: if I could do that? (laughs) (laughs) But I was just waiting Uh, in line with my mask on in front of Ralph's
0: and I was like, (laughs) I don't I don't like it. (laughs) Um In any case, I would be unstoppable. You can have, like, low mucus ink or high mucus ink. Okay, Okay, gross. And low mucus ink kind of spreads out really quick in the water, right? It makes, like, a big cloud of ink. Right, okay. Okay. High mucus ink kind of stays together more in sort of like a ball or almost, like, squid shape. What's the value of either? Right, so in the high mucus ink situation, some biologists call that a pseudomorph, in that they think oh. it's actually supposed to look like the squid while the squid escapes. Cool. So some predators that are maybe a little bit dumber, and their eyesight's not as good, will see something roughly the same size and shape as the squid, and will start chomping on that ink as the squid leaves. New Netflix show, Pseudomorph.
1: It's, <laughs> it's an anime uh, voiced by Jaden Smith, and for some reason the Vampire Weekend guy wrote it. I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah. And it's about a squid that poops out of Pseudomorph, and then it becomes... The squid, and then like the pseudomorph starts stalking the real squid. And then what's the pseudomorph and what's the real squid? We don't even know anymore. What's the realomorph?
0: I thought it was just going to be like a slice of life show where where you are in line at the grocery store and then you just poop out an ink version of you to stand in line while you go get more ice cream or something like while that. Well, I do think that would be a hit in Japan. <laughs> I don't know how well that plays overseas. Yes, fair, fair. I get it. I'm very niche. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, so you would watch that show. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So in that kind of situation, low mucus ink might be more like they toss up a big cloud and then they can kind of hide in the cloud. It obscures where their position is. That's interesting. And and actually kind of more blocks the vision of the predator. Man, these guys are fucking smart. Yeah. And so there's these actual functions related to the eyesight of predators. There might actually also be what? I just thought about how whenever I poop out of fear,
1: I never think to make the poop look like me. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you trying So harder? the bullies, the bullies are
0: like, just beating up on my poop. <laughs> yeah. Just
1: punching shit <laughs> just all day. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute, this is a Nathan.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then they're covered in shit. That's why cephalopods are so much smarter than us. That, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say me specifically. Nah, it's all of us. Anyway there might be some evidence that the chemical composition of ink is also used to mess around with predators. Okay. So not just their eyesight, but also as a chemical. Wow. Uh, so ink is really high in L-dopa and dopamine and a bunch of amino acids. New product. We sell squid ink that's like high in dopamine to Elon Musk.
1: I bet you there's also (laughs) still good guys that are like, I'm squid doping.
0: (laughs) I would totally believe that. Uh, Yeah. 100%. So, it's possible that squid ink tastes bad to some predators. For example, this is probably something that could have worked on dolphins if dolphins weren't so smart. Right. Dolphins seem to hate squid ink. Interesting. But they get around it by spearing the squid, swimming down to the bottom of the, the ocean... And then smushing the squid on the bottom of the ocean to, like, kind of splooge out the ink first and then eating the squid. Man, dolphins love spearing stuff, don't they? <laughs> yeah. What a pervert animal. Yes. So they actually go through a whole de-inking process before eating. Jeez. It like, also doesn't work on the famous predator Greek people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, those Greeks and Romans. Aristotle. Yeah. That stuff a bitch ate a lot of couple yeah. All right. So, it may also be what's called a phagomimetic defense. Okay. And because it is so high in amino acids, some predators use amino acids as sort of like their detection of food. Like, they decide that something is food because it's very amino, because it's high in umami. Okay, wow. (laughs) So, those predators might be, like, getting ready to chomp down on a squid, and all of a sudden their mouth is filled with umami. Right. They're like... I nailed it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then they get distracted by the ink. It's
1: really hard for Japanese people to catch squid. (laughs) Because of the umami. They think they're they're eating (laughs) umami.
0: Ink may also be used to signal to other cephalopods around that shit is going down. Right? Because other cephalopods might kind of notice the the ink. ink. Right. So uh, cephalopods kind of taste water with their suckers.
1: That must be so aggravating. Like can you imagine living your life and you're always tasting things? <laughs> it'd be if you're subtly
0: tasting <laughs> air, you could not live in LA. <laughs> yeah. You'd flip the fuck out. <laughs> so as you had mentioned, ink gets used in food by humans. And also as ink. Right? Like right. The fucking Greeks and shit used sepia, which is now it's a color tone. Yeah. Right? Sepia tone. It's actually based on the color of the ink from sepia, which is the genus that cuttlefish belong to. Cool. So it's, it's named after cuttlefish. Damn. Those Greek bastards, Aristotle knew about it. He was using that shit. Yeah. He's it's not a joke. Weird guy. Pervert. So look, Sean, ink's all cool and shit, but
1: fucking military camo. Yes. Octopuses are crazy that way. Tell me about some military camouflage.
0: Yes. So camouflage is probably one of the craziest things about cephalopods. And how good they are. I mean, everyone knows this, though. They change colors. What's more to this story, Sean? Right, okay. So there's actually, there's several mechanisms by which they do camouflage. The first one is color, okay? But it's kind of crazy how they can access so many different colors. Right. Okay? So they do this by, first of all, having organs all over their skin called chromatophores. And chromatophores basically hold pigments in them. And they usually have chromatophores, some are red, some are this kind of yellowy-orange color, and some are this brown-black color. Okay. And famously, octopuses can only change three colors. (laughs) I mean, so that's that's kind of the crazy thing, is they obviously can change it to a shitload more colors. Right. But the way that they actually use these chromatophores is that they have muscles that are connected to all of these chromatophores, and they can control the individual muscles to make each individual chromatophore bigger or smaller. Right. So they're changing the pixel sizes of these specific colors all over their bodies to make these different kind of displays on them. So it was like, if you were like,
1: oh, I want to be orange, oh, oh, then you flex really hard and make you orange because you chose which cells, the
0: orange cells are going to get bigger. Right. And and the other ones get smaller, right? So you can make, basically they can change the size of each individual, what's essentially a pixel between 1.5 millimeters to a tenth of a millimeter so they can damn so they can make like oh the red one's really small and the brown black one's really big and etc and so, different places in their body i'm american so i don't know what a millimeter is but that sounds very impressive small
1: uh, why can they change into other colors than just the three primary ones Right, and and
0: I mean, not not even what we would call the three primary colors. Right, right? rando bullshit colors. Right, kind of boring colors, honestly. Like, is red that different from orange, that different from brown? Like, not really, right? And so the thing is, they have all these other colors that they can make because they use something called iridophores, which are cells that sit underneath their chromophores. Okay. And iridophores do not have pigment in them. That's not how they work, okay? They aren't colored themselves. They are made up of nanostructured reflecting mirrors. Wow, okay. So they have these layers, basically plates of protein gapped by water. And as light passes through these plates at different angles, it gets reflected back at particular wavelengths. So that means just regular light's coming in, but they can organize these little mirrors inside their cells so that it reflects out blue color or it reflects out, Yellow color or red color or purple or whatever. Right. And then this light passes back throughout their pigment levels. So basically those two things combined make it so that they have access to the full color spectrum. What does it feel like when you're doing that as an octopus? Is it like when you're straining to take a poop? I mean that's kind of a good question they do have direct neurological control like their brains control all of those muscles for all of those chromatophores jeez thousands of them over their body jeez so they can choose to make different body parts different colors and stuff like that all these guys are like fucking it or something it's crazy <laughs> and so the thing is that these iridophores like i said they can reflect specific colors of light that's really cool they also polarize that light and so that's why i was saying earlier their eyes can detect polarized light. Right. And their iridophores can create polarized light. And that this might be a way for them to signal to each other without almost any other animal knowing. In other words, an octopus could be sitting there staying the same color but flashing different polarized lights. We would not be able to tell. Right. Unless we were videotaping them with a polarized light filter or something like that. Wow. But a cuttlefish nearby might be able to tell. That's fucking crazy. Right. So why can't we just like... Take some of that good juice
1: and just put it on a human and basically make like a uh, fucking Oh my god, X Men. Who's that bitch you can change? She's blue. Mystique. Mystique, yeah. So
0: why can't we just take all that good juice and put it on a lady and turn it into Mystique? There's other ideas like this, right? The the um the floaty the floaty ships in the Avengers or whatever, you know, the yeah. flying Yeah, that they, they have like reflector grids to make themselves disappear and stuff. Right. One thing I would say is that the nano-structured materials that make up these cells, very highly ordered, very impressively created. Not easy for us to recreate. Right. It's not easy for us to recreate. But this has inspired a lot of material scientists to try to make stuff like this. There's videos and gifs of these basically arrays of smart inks that if you shine a light on them, they'll change color and then change back once you're not shining a light on them. Wow, stuff okay. like that. And that is... Still, not nearly as impressive as what's happening in octopuses and squids and cuttlefish. But it's a step along the way, basically. We're trying to engineer in these properties that are really very impressive kind of emergence out of biological principles. Jesus. So, all of that stuff was about color. But technically, that's not the only way that they do camouflage, okay? Because when they're on sort of like a really sandy floor versus if they're hanging out on a rock they actually texture their skin to more match whatever substrate they're sitting on, okay? So they can actually kind of, it's almost like goose bumps or something like that. Okay, They can make their skin kind of edge up into these bumps that look almost like sharp points, jagged edges of rocks and stuff like that, by also using muscles built into their skin to kind of pull up areas of their skin Jesus. Points and bumps, and it can make them look sandy or bumpy like pebbles or craggy like rocks. So they
1: consciously change their skin texture, change their color, and to make sure they have the full color spectrum, change a separate entire structure in their body that's basically a bunch of mirrors. Yes. Okay, so they must have, like, brains the size of Stephen Hawking, right? Like, there must be, like, the huge fucking, like, a
0: kabillion neurons in their body. Yeah, so, I mean, I think after a break, we'll talk about how they actually have way fewer neurons than us. What? We talked about this a little bit earlier. It is nuts that they can do all this shit and not see color. (laughs) Right, Right? sure. What does it even mean for something to access the full color spectrum when they can't see color themselves? How do they even know what color they're supposed to be matching? But what about Stevie Wonder? (laughs) (laughs) how do they know what color they're supposed to be matching nathan (laughs) uh i don't know man
1: i don't either probably like they probably have a bicameral mind right and like one part of their mind is the
0: god voice that's like you are blue now (laughs) it's just jesus being like purple yeah jesus loves octopuses purple today yeah (laughs) um yeah no we don't know science doesn't know yet okay Ah. And uh, that's one of the things, some people think it might be related to how the skin of some octopuses and cuttlefish seem to have photoreceptors on its own that might be detecting light. So like their skin might be seeing the nearby objects to them. That's cool. But even so, those same photoreceptors are also colorblind. So I still don't get how they're detecting what color stuff is, but hey man. That's 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 for future science. We need to record these episodes. You guys should see Sean. He's all (laughs) his
1: hair's all over the place He's like, I don't know. I'm excited (laughs) Alright,
0: so let's take a break and when we get back, we're gonna finish up talking about Intelligence and what that means in an invertebrate like cephalopods. How did these pea brain motherfuckers
1: do all this cool shit? Yep
0: The following is an actual advertisement Do you love plants? don't be silly. Of course you do. You might just not know it yet. I'm Vikram Baliga, the host of the
1: Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some really cool plant people. Join me each episode as I chat with students, scientists, and professionals in the natural sciences and figure out what keeps them coming back for more. We'll explore their work, the ways they got into their fields, why they love plants and nature so much, and why you should love those things too. Planthropology is laid back and conversational and will keep you laughing and engaged whether you're a scientist or not follow along for this adventure into the sciences
0: and keep being really cool playing people
1: guys welcome back to beat dish now we're going to talk about the most beguiling subject <laughs> why these octopuses and cephalopods are so smart
0: Yeah, so unlike most intelligent species that we think of, like primates, elephants, whales, corvids, cephalopods are an extremely different lineage. They're invertebrates. And that means that a lot of kind of just cellular aspects of them are fundamentally different. Evolution took a different turn with them. Like what? So, for example, their neurons do not have myelin. Okay, and myelin is a coating that we have on the axons of our neurons that helps with long-distance information transfer so how does their brains work without it yeah so it means that they have a bigger emphasis on more local transmission shorter distance signaling if we gave them myelin would they become like super smart i don't know but some things would be different so for example one way that nerves can kind of get around not having myelin but still being long distance is by getting thicker oh okay thicker nerves sexy okay and so giant squids that's me I don't have myelin, but I got really thick nerves. Yes. You are very thick. (laughs) Um, Giant squids have giant fucking nerves. Right. (laughs) They have a giant axon that's responsible for their sort of flight response. When they need to get the hell out of there really quickly, they need like jet, Mm -hmm. right? This axon is responsible for that, and it sends the signal very quickly, even though it's a long-distance signal to like send all over their body like, okay, we need to go ahead and pull in the water and then jet it out really fast so we can escape the sperm whale or right. whatever because otherwise it's such a big animal that information actually takes a while to transfer right. along it unless you're myelinated which they're not damn basically you know i think animal intelligence in general especially mammalian intelligence vertebrate intelligence let's say is already thought to be kind of a convergent evolution which means that we don't really think that there was a cognitively advanced ancestor of elephants, whales, right. humans, ravens, right. right. The ancestors dumb as fuck, right. Over time, different branches evolve intelligence to meet different environmental needs, right. And the ways that our intelligences are similar, we think, is an example of convergent evolution. But that's still it's particularly is to say,
1: it's super cool with octopuses
0: because that shit's really different. Yeah, like the structure of our nervous systems. In all vertebrates is relatively similar, Sure, especially compared to cephalopods. Sure, we converged from a point where the nervous system and a spine is fairly similar, and then the intelligence is what is an example of coverage evolution, but octopuses are like, what the hell's going on? Right, and so this is kind of a really fun place where we get to see what happens when you have pretty different starting conditions, but still end up with something that looks an awful lot like intelligence to us, right? And so octopuses actually, they do have the most complicated nervous systems out of the cephalopods, But pretty much all of the derived cephalopods are pretty intelligent as far as, like, we would judge them. So, like, cuttlefish do not have as many neurons as octopuses do, but they are still thought of as very intelligent. Right. Okay. But octopuses have about half a billion neurons. Out of those half a billion, about 50 million of them are in their actual central brain. 80 million each are in their optic lobes. So those are the ones that handle eyesight information. And then the rest, 320 millions, the majority of them are actually in their peripheral nervous system, mainly their arms, controlling their arms.
1: Okay, and to give a frame of reference here,
0: what does all that stuff look like in... Right, so um, octopus is half a billion. Ravens have like 2 billion neurons in their okay. brains alone. Humans have like 86 billion. How many are in our arms
1: fewer (laughs) okay well i mean because that's kind of interesting right Right. is like an octopus has more of that shit diffused all over their body than in their fucking brain
0: and so actually part of that makes a little bit of sense in the context of octopus arms are actually much more complicated than our arms our arms have discrete muscles that help us with certain kinds of movement right? right well octopus arms gotta change fucking color it gotta suck shit up right and then on top of that it's entirely muscles there is no bone in an octopus arm. Right. There are no joints in an octopus arm. Right. It's not like a series of, you know, little pulleys or whatever that are kind of pulling the bones back and forth and stuff right. like it is in our arm. There's a certain mechanical simplicity to a human arm. Right. But an octopus, by virtue of being all muscle, is all coordination. Right. And so when they're flexing really minute specific parts of their arms, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of what's called degrees of freedom that their arms can move in. They can coil this way or that way. A lot of ways that just like by virtue of our joints, we can't move. Damn. Okay, So their arms do require a lot more processing power. And a lot of that is not handled in the brain at all. It's kind of put off to these Ganglia of neurons that are hanging out in little clumps by each one of the arms.
1: Sean, what does that feel like? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good question of
0: what it feels like. I mean, that must be kind of weird, right? Yeah. It's like almost semi autonomous. Right. So, it, as far as I understand, there is definitely communication from the central brain to the arms. Especially concerning what seems to be kind of like goal setting. Right.
1: It's almost like our bodies are kind of like the French system of government with a powerful unitary government. And Macron is like, do this. But like the octopus is like our federal government where Trump is like, I don't know, maybe social distance. (laughs) And it's kind of up to Andrew Cuomo
0: or Gavin Newsom to be like, oh, fuck. (laughs) We got a curl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I buy it. Oh, very interesting. That that sounds pretty good to me. But yeah, so their central brain itself is made up of lobes. These lobes are like different areas or clumps of neurons. And a lot of other invertebrates are actually called ganglia. Okay, so grasshoppers or flies or whatever have little clumps of neurons in their head that are usually called ganglia clumps. Why don't we call it that in octopuses? Because there's a lot more neurons in there than there is for like a grasshopper. It's upgraded. Right. They get to be called lobes. And structurally, there are some structural differences that make it look kind of patterned in a way more similar to our brains. Cool. Than just a clump of neurons hanging out. And again, entirely convergent. Yes. Yes. And so the lobes of their brain are kind of grouped by what side of the esophagus they're on, right? So the esophagus is like their throat that leads to their stomach. Right. And the under the esophagus lobes are kind of like our brainstem. They handle shit like breathing and sending activation signals to the arms. It's fucking crazy, right? I mean, can you imagine if our brain was around an esophagus? The only
1: person like that is Guy Fieri.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, he's but, just got all his
1: lobes are just like clustered around
0: right under his throat. I, really? I mean, <laughs> the duodenum. although actually, if you think about where your esophagus is and then where your brainstem is, right. they're actually not that far from each other. And then a lot of oh, your yeah, brain actually so. hangs out right above over it. or the other side of right. where your esophagus is. Right. Okay. Well, fair point. In any case, the over esophagus chunk of lobes seems to handle more fun, complex stuff. Things like the basal lobes handle complex motor skills, so when they need to like open a jar or something right. that requires a lot of control over their arms, then the central brain does get involved, right? And then the vertical lobe handles visual learning and memory. The frontal lobes handle chemotactile learning and memory. So they definitely are able to learn stuff and have memories of what they learned. And so the vertical lobes are used to help them learn stuff like what kinds of prey actually aren't. Pray, like you shouldn't you shouldn't be going after that shit for example if scientists start putting in little like fake crabs that actually electrically shock you or whatever <laughs> octopuses learn wow that's bad don't take stuff from scientists they're assholes they can actually learn lessons about that they can also seem to remember locations Wait a minute. Yeah. So they don't
1: start to think that the crab is bad. They actually think the scientist is bad. So they don't trust
0: any food from the scientist. (laughs) So it depends on what they're paying attention to and whether the scientists are like around. But they can definitely associate things more than their very immediate environment. That's cool. Which is actually a behavior that you can also see in, like, corvids and stuff like that. Corvids can learn certain humans are assholes. Right. And then be mad at those people for long periods of time. Octopuses can do similar sorts of things.
1: Does an octopus know where the cookie jar is?
0: (laughs) Yeah, they can learn stuff like that. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. There are stories about octopuses that are in an aquarium or something. One of the things about octopuses is that they get bored in their environment if they don't have enough enrichment. I've seen Finding Nemo. (laughs) And they like to play and stuff like that. Right. Uh, There's examples of octopuses where, like, they'll kind of map out the currents in their tank or something. Yeah. And then they'll take little objects and throw it into the current, like a circular current, so it comes back to them that they can catch it. They'll play catch with themselves, basically. Wow, that's fucking nuts. Um, But if they're too bored, they can either get lethargic and kind of depressed-seeming. Yeah. Or they can, like, get mad and try to, like, break out. You know what I mean? (laughs) So there's instances of octopuses breaking out of their tank and, like, crawling over to other tanks in the aquarium. Or, like, doing naughty shit, like spitting water at light bulbs and causing electrical outages and stuff like that. So, (laughs) so octopuses (laughs) can definitely handle complex puzzles in, like, sort of sneaky and naughty ways. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. So, one of the interesting kind of strange things about cephalopod intelligence is that in animals, we sort of thought there's kind of main drivers of, like, why? Why bother having intelligence, right? And one of the drivers we thought was, okay... If you have a lot of social interactions, right. maybe you need intelligence to be able to remember different social partners, right? but then also maybe you need to start developing a theory of mind. It's always so embarrassing when you forget the name of your last social partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that basically, you know, with these complex networks of social interaction. Not Sean's problem. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, you are my only social interaction. It is my problem. I'm just always forgetting <laughs> Stacy's name. I, I just, I only have one name to remember. I just call you asshole most of (laughs) the time. Anyway, another potential driver might be long lifespan. Or something that might just help with the generation of intelligence. Is that if you have a long lifespan, you have more opportunities to actually accrue memories that could help you. That's cool. Right? The thing is, cephalopods do seem to be very intelligent, but are variably social. Some of them are loners. And typically have very short lifespans. Like, a couple of years. Wow. So what's the fucking point? Right. Why bother being able to develop memories if you're going to die in a couple of years? Unless they have like a union mind and they actually have a collective consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be
1: sweet. Whoa. (laughs) But aren't aren't they all just little appendages of the old gods?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah. (laughs) Um, Old gods of the ocean. (laughs) So uh, it's possible that this intelligence may have been an adaptation to kind of having a more diverse set of prey and predators. Okay, So what it seems like is that cephalopods started out kind of more like nautiluses in that we didn't talk about nautiluses yet. That'll be in episode two. But they have a shell, right? They kind of have this protective shell on them. Some scientists believe that intelligence evolved after cephalopods left their shell or internalized their shell and that internalization might have given them more kinds of environments they could move into maybe make them move quicker but also implicitly less protection less protection right and maybe having more environments less protection but also more prey means that they need to have intelligence to be able to figure out out diverse hunting (laughs) techniques. To figure out out the fish. (laughs) (laughs) To to figure out uh, different ways of hunting, to figure out different ways of avoiding predators. Right. Right. And so maybe that's why intelligence evolved in them. But in any case, they do definitely seem to be able to use this intelligence. They use it to communicate, for example. Cephalopods communicate with each other pretty well. They can flash different colors at each other. Humboldt squids, for example, are able to hunt in kind of like packs. Right. And they seem to use bioluminescent pigments to kind of communicate with each other in the dark waters that they live in. Jesus. So they can kind of hunt in the dark in the absence of light because they'll send like little flashes to each other. Do they use tools, Sean? Yeah, so some octopuses may use what you'd call tools. This is a little controversial. Do they put the two sticks together to reach the further place? (laughs) No, there's no really good examples of them using compound tools, except there are some octopuses that use discarded coconut shells. Right. And they'll take like a couple of these coconut shells and then while they're holding the coconut shells in some of their arms, they'll use two arms to walk along the sea floor. They'll (laughs) kind of like walk along on two legs holding two coconuts, and then once they get to the spot where they like to hang out, they'll build like a little fortress out of the coconut shells. Sure. This is after they've seen Hedwig and the Angry Itch. So they do know how to interpret drag art. Right. They know how to strut. It's actually really cute. And so they make these little constructible fortresses out of discarded coconut shells. I've seen Blue Planet. Discarded coconut shells only started appearing on ocean floors after humans started eating coconuts. That's pretty cool. So it can't be evolved at all. Right. This is too recent a thing. Right. And so they've only recently been introduced to a large number of discarded coconut shells. Right. So I think, broadly speaking, they do have some kind of odd intelligence. This section, I think, is underdeveloped compared to some of our Corvid research talk, right? Right. And some of the stuff we've done on primates. Part of that is because we do stuff in the air and they do stuff in the water. It's a little hard, as far as an interface is concerned, for us to like get to do stuff with them. Right. Write to your local James Cameron, (laughs) put more of his money towards octopus research. Experiments are ongoing. And I think this kind of whole realm of intelligence with cephalopods is one that can really teach us a whole lot about what kinds of solutions in intelligence are convergent things because they make a lot of sense. They're solutions that nature came to more than once through completely separate evolutionary tracts. Because they're good solutions, right? right? As opposed to just the random chance roll of the dice. Do you think octopuses we
1: could put into spaceships and they could live in outer space? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what you got for me to end this
1: episode. It's just somehow
0: they're so squishy. <laughs> it seems like they could deal with high pressure. That's interesting, actually. Weird. <laughs> no, i didn't think that was gonna be interesting so fucking smart uh, the, the main problem i think with that is uh, water is really heavy right. it's actually hard to take a lot of water into space right so i think having a tank big enough to keep octopuses interested and shoot them up into space is right. actually like energetically difficult well see that's problematic though because they're the only people we can give spice to to turn into
1: pilots that can um, bend beautiful you know wormholes yes. na- and na- shit.
0: navigate the bends in space time yeah yes are you excited for the new dune tentatively yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little nervous it's by dennis yes yes but it's got timothy shalama
1: i like timothy uh, he's beautiful yeah. that's what i'm saying i, I like th- that part i hope army hammer is baron harkonnen wait no the other harkonnen no fred fred red
0: no what's his name the hot one i know what you're talking about the one who david bowie played yeah it's like fred fred rashda or something like that right the sexy guy god we're gonna have so many dune people pissed at us oh well whatever We'll see if it's still in here. Are there
1: still Dune people?
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that book. They're weird, though. (laughs) They're weird. Because they read Chapter House Dune? (laughs) (laughs) They've read all the Dunes. It did stuff to them. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. Let's say thanks to Stacy Song, our sun lord and engineer. Thank you, Stacy Song. And thanks to Brian Allen for the artwork.
1: Thank you, Brian.
0: Uh, We would really love it if you guys would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. And you can donate as little as a dollar a month to us on Patreon.com slash Petri Dish if you like some kind of thing that we're doing right now. That'd be nice. Or if you don't, still fucking do it, (laughs) you sons of bitches. Yeah, wow. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I want to get Chick-fil-A tonight. Very convincing. It's so expensive. All right, and make sure to tune in for part two of Octopuses, where basically we're going to go through a bunch of different species and talk about just like random cool facts about cephalopods. Because there's a lot of weird ones, and uh, this time around, we didn't get to talk about all like the little nitty-gritty weirdnesses. Mm-hmm. Guys, thank you for joining in. Good night and good luck. <laughs>